The book of Galatians is where we're going to be at this morning. We took a break last week and we're in James and hopefully provided a roadmap to be thankful in this time of trial in our country and the pandemic, the virus that's going around and all that stuff. We still have much to be thankful for, amen? And uh, we're going to be back in Galatians this morning, and we're going to be in my favorite chapter of the Bible, at least for this quarter. I'm going to narrow it down for the, just because it changes sometimes. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 is just a beautiful chapter of uh, how Paul explains to us how we are justified through faith. We are justified in the eyes of a holy God through placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and it's not by the works of the law. And it uh, is my favorite chapter because I'm a legalist at heart. I spent most, most of my um, upbringing and young adult life uh, when attempting to try to connect with God, doing so in a means to try to earn his favor by keeping rules and laws and regulations and only to fall flat on my face time and time and time again. And, um, and the, the moment I was sharing last night, the moment that uh, was 15 years ago now that... Uh, the gospel was preached, and I realized through the enabling power of the Spirit that I, all I had to do was receive and trust in Jesus alone, that he paid my penalty. The moment that happened, that guilt and that shame that I carried around all those years was lifted. It was lifted from me. Oh, man. And that's why I stand up here some 15 years later, is to proclaim the good news that all who will believe and trust in Christ's accomplished work can be reconciled to their creator, not through keeping laws and regulations, but placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And Galatians uh, chapter or 3 is just a beautiful picture of that. And so I'm going to kind of be reviewing what we talked about the last couple of weeks. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, we took a break last week, and so I kind of want to refresh our memories as far as where we were at. But secondly, this is a, an important chapter for us as a church to, to know, to know not just for me to preach to you, but to know in the culture in which we live, there are many people who are burdened every day with trying to maintain their relationship with God by keeping rules and regulations. And this chapter can be the means in which the Spirit can give them the truth that can break them free of the bondage that comes with that, that they can have eternal life. And so it might sound or feel a little repetitive, but I, I, I'm praying that us as a church will, will know Galatians chapter 3. And as we encounter people out in our um, city, in our culture, anywhere, um, as these gospel conversations begin to happen and we begin to talk about works versus faith, that we can, as a church, take people to Galatians chapter 3 and say that, let me show you what the Apostle Paul has laid out for us, for, for all of us, right? And so it might sound a little repetitive, but I'm hoping that this is something that we can take and, and use for, uh, for, for evangelism outreach in our efforts, in our desire to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So without any further ado, we'll just begin with a review of uh, verses 1 through 10. That's what we've already preached on, and then we're going to cover... Uh, 11 through 14 uh, as well 
uh, something to take on a little bit new. But what I want you guys to see as I'm, I talk to you about wanting to take Galatians chapter 3 to those around us, uh, I kind of just want to start from the top and, and show you how this could be a conversation. Or it doesn't necessarily have to be a point-by-point uh, sermon, but it can be a conversation. And you can say, look, well, the Apostle Paul has proved, has provided proof for us that there's justification in the eyes of the Holy God through faith. And he gives us three proofs right here in Galatians chapter 3. And the first one is the people's experience, the believer's experience. When they experience the, the, the gospel being preached and the Holy Spirit convicts them of their need for Jesus, they turn and receive Jesus. Remember, we, we went to the book of Acts. We saw in Antioch, Paul go into uh, Antioch and proclaim the good news, the gospel, that Jesus was the Messiah, and that some believed. They experienced the working of the power of the Spirit in their lives. And that's the first proof that he provides for these people, these Galatian believers who uh, were listening to these false teachers who had come into the church and said, hey, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the laws of the Moses to be able to have relationship or to be reconciled to your God. You still need to remain a Jew, yet believe on Jesus. It was a false teaching, and Paul heard about this, and he writes this letter saying, uh, severely correcting them. Right? And we see that beginning in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, he says. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? He's saying, someone's influencing you, and it's not for the good. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Spirit that's promised to every believer as you receive and believe Jesus? The Spirit of God is the down payment of our eternal inheritance to come. Every believer, everyone that's encountered Jesus in a personal way is given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Did you receive the Spirit? How did we do this? By the works of the law, by keeping a list of rules and regulations, or by believing what you have heard? What did they experience? He's hearkening them back to their experience. He's providing a proof for them. Are you so foolish, he says, after beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? The Spirit of God awakened them, alivened them, made them alive unto God, made them born again. He's calling them back to that experience that they encountered Jesus when he proclaimed that gospel message or whoever did. And it's the Spirit that did the work. It's the Spirit that moves on the heart and the lives and makes us alive unto God. We are dead in our trespasses of sin. And praise be to God, the Spirit, as we receive and believe the, the message, the Spirit makes us alive unto God. But the hard part is for us to continue to walk in faith and in the power of the Spirit as opposed to finishing by the flesh. So yes, they're trying to justify these false teachers that are saying you need to, to have Jesus, but you also need to do these things in your flesh. And, and so in the context, it's talking specifically about being saved or having relationship or being reconciled to their God. But as believers, we have the same tendency to, to be, although be saved and, and begun that spiritual walk, it's very easy for us to fall into legalism and to, to finish by our flesh. And I've shared that with you, my struggles on how it is so hard for me to, to yield to the, to the Spirit. And, and walk in the power of God instead of trying to take on life in my own strength and power, even in my spiritual life. 
And I begin to judge myself whether or not I'm having in a good relationship with God as to how much I'm reading my Bible or how much I'm praying, all these extracurricular things and not focusing on my first love, Jesus, and my relationship with him and using those avenues of reading God's word and prayer as a means to communicate with him. It goes from being a list of things to do to a means in which I can communicate and have relationship with my creator through what Jesus has done. So it was a warning for us as well. We are begun by the Spirit and we remain. The Christian walk is to be empowered by the Spirit. And Paul's going to go on in Galatians chapter 5 and talk to us about being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. How important that is for us. Getting back to this proof of justification by faith. So again, this is a way in which we can enter in conversation. Look, let me show you. The Apostle Paul provides us proofs that our justification, our atonement before God, to be, atonement means to be made one, is through faith and alone in Jesus Christ alone. And the first one is, look, the, 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 the people that Paul encountered in these, in these churches in the Galatian region, when he preached the gospel, they experienced this being born again by the Spirit. And it wasn't by doing the list of things, to do, of doing a bunch of lists of laws. It was by hearing the gospel message. Verse 4. Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing, was it just in vain? Was that experience just an experience, an emotional experience? Or or did the Spirit of God truly make you alive? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you have heard? So we see the Spirit, again, not just giving us new life, but now empowering us to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to God. He says, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you? God is at work through the spirit that dwells inside the believer. And Paul's calling them back to the experience that they've had with the spirit and what they've done. And it wasn't through the works of the law, but it was by believing the gospel message. And so we're providing proof as we walk someone through these passages of Scripture, if they'll allow you, they give you the trust to be able to share with them in love what it means to be saved and justified by faith and not by the works. It is by hearing the gospel message and allowing the Spirit to make us born again. And then in verse 5, we see another proof. Proof in the fulfilled promises that are found in Scripture, the covenants that we've talked about. We saw that when Paul went into Antioch, a Galatian city, he proclaimed and he brought up the Davidic covenant to them, saying that God promised David that the king, the Messiah, would come through his line, and he proclaimed Jesus to be that Messiah. So God fulfilled that promise that he gave to David, and it had nothing to do with David because David was dead and buried. But he promised and he fulfilled what he had given. And he demonstrated to those, those, that church in Galatia God's faithfulness in keeping his promises. And then he provides in verse 5, he begins to give us uh, in this particular, in Galatians, in the letter, he provides them another proof. Not the Davidic covenant, but the Abrahamic covenant. That it always has been God's plan to save people, not through the works of the law, the Mosaic law, but through his promises. 
through his unconditional covenant he made to Abraham 430 years prior to the law. And so he uses the Abrahamic covenant as another proof that God has always intended to save or be atoned for our sin, to be made one with God through faith in Christ's accomplished work alone. And we went through that. Verse 5, So then God, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works of the law or is it about believing what you have heard? Verse 6, Just like Abraham who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And so we saw, we went back in Genesis, and we saw that God made a covenant with Abraham that his seed, even though he was old and his wife was beyond childbearing years, that he promised Abraham that he, his seed would be like the stars in the sky and the, sea on the, or the sand on the ocean. He took him outside and he says, see those stars? That's going to be your offspring. I promise you this is going to happen. And everything that Abraham looked at with his fleshly eyes would say, no, that can't be possible. But with God, all things are possible. And he sees Abraham, and we've seen, as we saw in the Abrahamic covenant, God made that ceremony with Abraham, and he put Abraham to sleep. And he walks down the middle of the, of the parted animals, of the, of the slaughtered animals. God does as a lamp. We saw all that imagery that was going on. As a, as, a, as a sign of the covenant he made with Abraham while Abraham was sleeping to indicate Abraham had nothing to do with it, that God was going to make this happen. It was unconditional. And so Paul brings this promise of Abraham to the Galatian believers. It says, just like Abraham, who believed God, who trusted God, who had faith in God and his promises, in spite of what he saw with his fleshly eyes, because he believed and trusted in God, it was credited to him for righteousness. So the second proof is God's fulfilled promises. You know then that those who have faith, and so we see Abraham's promise is in fulfillment even 2,000 years later. All those of us who are, can proclaim the name of Jesus, who, who have testified that Jesus, we've encountered Jesus in a personal saving way, we've been filled with the Spirit of God, are all benefactors of the promise given to Abraham. It's amazing. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's son. We are all spiritual children of Abraham. It has nothing to do with the law. Verse 8, now the Scripture saw in advance that God would justify, to be declared righteous, a judge would justify someone, either guilty or if they're justified, they're, they're innocent. And God had always made it a plan that the Scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles. That would be you and I if you're not of Jewish descent. That his justification would come to the entire world, every tribe, nation, and tongue. God would justify the Gentiles by what? By faith. And proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. I've already preached this message a couple times now, and I I still get so excited that I'm a benefactor of this promise given to Abraham. Realizing I have nothing to do with it. I earn nothing. I offer nothing to God. It's, I'm just a recipient of this beautiful gift of salvation by grace through faith. 
Proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Verse 9, Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. And how blessed are we to be considered Abraham's spiritual children through the gospel, through Jesus going to the cross and dying for us on our behalf, that we can be partakers of the promise and not partakers of what we truly deserve through the Mosaic law that demonstrates to us our sin and our separation from God, that we are deemed righteous because Christ gave us his righteousness as he went to the cross. The scriptures declare, he who had no sin became sin for us. He took our sin on that cross, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's a gift. I don't stand before God in my own righteousness, in my religious works. I stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. It's all I have to offer. It's what Christ has done for me. By faith, we believe that. And if you believe that, you are blessed just as Abraham was blessed. Because we have eternal life that's given to us as a free gift. And then we have the fulfillment of Scripture as the third proof. So as we're taking someone through that, say, look, they experienced Jesus or the, the, the gospel proclamation. The Spirit made them alive, and Paul's reminding them of that. And then Paul reminds them of the Scripture or the fulfillment of the promises of Abraham that, that had nothing to do with the Mosaic Law. And we're going to get further into that next week. We'll get, uh, Paul will go into and parse why then the law. Why was the law even given to us? It's never been about, and so we'll talk about that next week. I know you're just chomping at the bit, right? Right. And then he gives us a third proof here, verses 10 through 14, the fulfillment of Scripture. The fulfillment of Scripture. Paul gives one after another Old Testament references from verses 10 through 14 to demonstrate that this has always been God's plan. This wasn't just a plan B. This is always God's intention to save us by placing our faith in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ, and his accomplished work. And so let's go through those now. Verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written. Therefore, we know because it is written, we're about ready to get an Old Testament passage, right? Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Paul has a stern warning for those believers and through the inspired, because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this and has preserved this for us, that is a stern warning for us and for those around us. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. That's an Old Testament passage that we find in Deuteronomy 27, 26. And that's first five books of the of the Old Testament, right? Anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice is cursed. And all the people will say, Amen. So the law was given. They're about ready to go in the promised land. God reminds them of what they're supposed to do to keep the law. And he says, if anyone does not put the words of the law into the practice, is cursed. And all the people will say, Amen. If I was there, I'd say, Oh, no. Right? Because the children of Israel, the people, the, the Jewish people, uh, the Old Testament again and again demonstrates of humanity's inability to keep God's holy law. 
again and again they fail and they falter. And as the word, the, the Mosaic law is brought to us as a mirror, and as we stare into the, just the Ten Commandments, we see we fall short. We can't keep the law. They couldn't keep it, nor can we. And Paul will go on to say, the, the law was given so that we would see how sinful we truly are, how separated we truly are from a holy and righteous God. And anyone who tries to keep the law as a means to have relationship with their God is cursed. Revelation 20, always in the back of my head. The coming judgment. All those who are not found under the blood of Jesus, not written in the book of life, will be judged according to their works, and they will be cursed. so important we get this gospel message out to people to demonstrate to them that they cannot earn their salvation that is through the gift given to us by Jesus Christ alone anyone who does not put the words of the law into his practice is cursed so he's demonstrating to them that it can't be through the law it never was God's intention verse 11 now it is clear that no one is justified before or before God by the law why? Because the righteous will live by faith, just as Abraham. By faith, trust, placing our faith and trust in God's promises. Verse 4, look. Oh, so that's uh, the, the last part there of verse 11. Because the righteous will live by faith, Paul is again pulling out Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, which says, look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. You want to be righteous? Before a holy God, place your faith in Christ and his righteousness as the only means to be justified before him. Paul uses yet another Old Testament passage to prove that God has always intended to save through his promise of the Messiah and not through the works of the law. Verse 12, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. So he's now Comparing the law and faith. The law is not based on faith. The law is do this, and I will bless you. You don't do this, and I will curse you. Faith is trusting and believing that what he has promised, he is faithful to deliver. It goes against every part of a human pride to come before a God and say, I offer you nothing of my own. I can't give you anything to earn merit with you. I can only trust that what you promised in your word that Christ's accomplished work alone is the only means in which I can have relationship with you and be reconciled and be atoned for my sin. But that is the comparison he gives us. The law is not based on faith. The law is due. The faith is, it has been done in Christ and we must believe and trust in that. The one who does these things will live by them. The one that does the law, you must live by them. James 2.10 quotes another Old Testament passage. He who keeps the whole law, you do check all your boxes. Yet offends on one point, he's guilty of it all. Because that is how holy our God is. God cannot wink at any sin. He's holy and just, and he can justly punish us for our sin. But yet he is loveful loving and merciful and has offered a way. 
how can a, people ask me, how can a loving God send people to an eternal hell? I say he's a very loving God. He sent his one and only son to die for you, to take that penalty for you so that you can escape what you truly deserve. That is how loving our God is. The one who does these things will live by them. Please, I beg you, don't live this life in an effort to keep your relationship with God or an eternal life with God through what you are doing in your own strength. You must trust in Christ alone. That's another Old Testament passage, Leviticus 18. Keep my statutes and ordinances, he says. A person will live if he does them. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. And we know we cannot do them all. We fall drastically short of the righteousness that is provided to us of who God is in the Mosaic Law. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And so here we have the gospel message in one verse. Christ redeemed us, those who placed their faith in what he's done, from the curse that we deserve of the law. The law demonstrates our sinfulness. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. He stood in our place. He was our vicar. He went. He not only was physically beaten and whipped and spat upon and all those terrible things, but on that tree he took the wrath of God for our sin. The wrath that you and I deserve. He became a curse for us. He became a curse that we would never know what it is to be left or forsaken by our God. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And we know this beautiful picture of God's love being demonstrated to us by Christ going to the cross and paying the penalty for us is a picture of his love. It is also a picture that uh, we cannot do it in our own ways. If Paul will go on to say, if we could truly earn eternity and reconciliation with God through the law, then Christ has died in vain. But it's not the case. And what makes Christ so different is that he is not only man sent from God, he is God in flesh. The virgin birth is so important because we know that all that comes from the first Adam are born in sin and separated from their God. Because of the virgin birth, Christ does not have that same lineage. He is from above. He is God in the flesh. He is 100% man, 100% God, 100% man, so that he could take that penalty for us. He could be our vicar. He, this is the substitutionary atonement. He substituted himself on our behalf. His shed blood, his his partaking of the curse being upon him was the payment that you and I deserve. He took it upon himself because he was God and he could pay that eternal penalty one time. Anselm from the 11th century said this, the debt was so great that while man alone owed it, only God could pay it. Only God could pay that eternal payment one time because he's eternal God. And he could pay that penalty, that eternal penalty, one time. If we are left alone outside of Jesus, if we are to be judged by our works, we must pay that 
penalty for all of eternity because we are not eternal God. That is Revelation 20. That is what God has gifted us in Christ, that he took that eternal payment for us and that penalty for us. Praise be to God. Here's the Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 21, that he just said, mentioned in verse 13, if anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed and you hang his body on a tree, you are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must defile the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. There's so much depth of what Christ has fulfilled in the New Testament as we study and learn the Old Testament more and more. And we see here in Deuteronomy again, cursed, God will curse those who are hung on a tree. And so where's Jesus died, killed, crucified on a tree for us? In the Old Testament, we had the two goats. The, 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 had the high priest uh, uh, place the sin on the scapegoat, and they would sin, he would send the, the goat out beyond the city walls, never to return. And it was a picture of the sin, uh, the sin of God's people being placed in that sheep and then being sent out beyond the walls. But it was ultimately pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God, who would go beyond the city walls and be crucified for us. He became a curse for us. He took our penalty for us. And all we have to do, I say how we have to do, all we must do is place our faith and trust in him and what he's done for us. Verse 14, and go back in Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 14. Paul summarizes these proofs that he's given us, right? First, their experience. Secondly, the promise or the fulfillment of the God's promises and the covenants, right? The, because we're saved through the Abrahamic covenant doesn't mean that the Mosaic covenant is of avail effect either. And we'll talk about that next week. God fulfills all of the prom- covenants that he's given to us. But he says here, And then we have the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. And then we see here in verse 14, God's purpose. God's purpose for us some 2,000 years later. Their purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus. So that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. What an amazing gift. Salvation the spirit, the position that we have, find ourselves in Christ, the inheritance that is to come. It's just an amazing gift given to us because he who promised is faithful and not because of our own righteousness or works. And so we must take this message outside these walls. We must show people this beautiful, illustrative gospel message that God has always intended for us to be saved and be reconciled to him through placing our faith in Christ and earnestly beg people to abandon hope and trying to earn favor with God through keeping the laws and regulations and religion. 
and all of our hearts break for people that aren't in this position that still get up every day and try to do the best they can and hopefully it is enough our heart breaks for them may God use us to be his ambassadors that God would be glorified in saving many through this gospel message and Galatians chapter 3 is a great place to take people who struggle with law and works versus faith Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and are so thankful (laughs) Uh, so thankful Lord. I'm glad I will have all of eternity to uh, be thankful and um, God we just love you because you first loved us and our our hearts uh, desire Lord that you would use us to proclaim your message your goodness, your gift of salvation to those around us, uh, to our family members who are outside of the bonds of the church and then outside of Christ, Lord, that you would give us courage and boldness, but also be seasoned. Let us help us to be seasoned with grace as we demonstrate to them our concern for them and our concern for them to receive and believe Jesus as the only means of reconciliation to you. Help us, God, in that. Father, I pray for all those who aren't here that uh, are staying inside because of the pandi- or the virus, Lord. I pray for their, just your blessing upon them. I pray, pray that you would pr- continue to protect us, Lord, from the virus, that you would um, allow those who have it, Lord, to be healed quickly, Father. And... Uh, God, I pray for your blessing on those here. And I pray that if there's anyone either listening online or in this building, Father, that has not encountered Jesus in a personal saving way, that today would be the day that your spirit would do a mighty work, that you'd be glorified in that. They would see their need to trust in Christ alone. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Brother Jerry.